presentation. Yeah, so uh, episode two of the Folly Coffee podcast. Uh, I have recovered emotionally from my devastating uh, cup tasters round. Uh, Jeff is still reveling in his glory, and he's been very arrogant and very obnoxious about it. Throw it uh, in his face every, every few minutes. Is that Jeff with the entourage? I'm sorry. Yeah. Which one of you is Jeff? Uh, Jeff's with the hair. I'm the other guy. Uh, we're here with Levi. Uh, you've heard that third voice now. Uh, we're here with Levi of Da Vinci. Is that, is that kind of your title? It is right now. Yes, that's right now. <laughs> Levi of Da Vinci. Yeah, so we're Could just be Levi Da Vinci? Like Leonardo Da Vinci? Yes, yeah, sure. Levi Da Vinci. Oh, we will go with it's that. It's meant to be. <laughs> uh, but I think Levi has one of the coolest coffee stories. And one of my favorite things about the coffee industry is people's backgrounds and their stories and how they get into coffee. Jeff and I both have like kind of non-traditional coffee backgrounds, how we got into it. And Levi's got one of the coolest stories and what I think is one of the coolest jobs that, quite frankly, I'm totally skeptical is even exists. Uh, I think he's making it up and he keeps showing up to these things. Also, I should know, most impeccably dressed at any event we ever go to. Uh, so welcome to the Fly Coffee Podcast. Thanks. We are back here in the back room of U.S. Coffee Champs. Shout out to Carly for, again, letting us use the room. Uh, but wanted to talk about, like I said, your story, uh, your coffee story. Kind of. So just, I'm going to let you just riff on it. Go back to how did you get into coffee? How did that lead you to Wisconsin? How did you end up with Da Vinci? Uh, and then kind of your role there. It sounds like a condition. <laughs> How did I conduct <laughs> How did you contract this job? Did you see this photo? Oh, have you seen this photo? No. It goes back to this career day, 1991. Bulk no, cut, How old are you there? 91 would be six. Six. Or so. Fluke, man. Just a fluke. <laughs> well, the link a picture. Of, yeah, there's, yeah, an Instagram post or whatever. Yeah. It's a lot of... Uh, um, I said this yesterday. It might have been to you guys. It was at some party. I'm really good at taking hindsight and making it look like I was really smart and brilliant. Yeah. But really, it's just like a lot of work all yeah. the time. Yeah. Like here is another example of the first, what is it, second weekend in January? Yeah, yep. allegedly. Yeah, the first weekend I didn't work, the second weekend I did work. This will be about the pace of the year. Hmm. Just work through the weeks, you know. When, when I had the coffee shop, little te teaser, spoiler alert, I got there at 4.30 and I left at 6.30 p.m. Only five days a week. Then Saturdays was my half day. It was an eight-hour day. And then Sundays I volunteered while I was going to school. Jeez. That's how you get places when you don't have a rich uncle or dad or <laughs> mom or whatever. So kind of like the joke I probably should use this year is that I'm just independently wealthy. I had an inheritance like a Trump junior. And I just blow it at coffee shops and at coffee events. I just didn't say that. I just show up with these bottles. Like, <laughs> like Gianni, but... 2.0. <laughs> like, I'm not sure he gets paid. He's just at every event. So, uh, what year did kind of your coffee life start, and how did you get to that point? Was there life before it started? I don't no, know. No. It's all pointless before that. Was it always specialty coffee, too, or you? Um, I started, had this weird, um, let's see, so that, I showed you that picture where I was a barista at career day. That was a total fluke that I just got the story from my dad this last fall. He had like won some award at work or teachers or something like that. We were like super broke growing up. Um, like one teacher's salary, four kids, uh, stay-at-home wife type of style. Um, and so anyways, he had like won this espresso machine, which was way out of a budget that I can imagine that we hardly had. 
and uh, my mom was like, oh, it's career day the next day. She goes through the kids helping everybody, and then it was my turn, and she's like, oh, why don't you just make coffee? I was like, oh, yeah, because I, like, I liked steamers and hot chocolates, and so that's like, started this weird thing. And then my mom had this little, she like, was running business outside of a tree farm. Like, people would come in and pay for the trees, so then she started selling like, oranges and stuff there, and over the years it turned into a home decor store. Tree farm shut down, and then she got a retail space that like happened to open up and all this weird stuff. And then attached to that, there was a coffee shop, and that went up for sale. So she had bought this coffee shop without actually ever tasting coffee. Found that out the other day. Like, so I got into coffee because <laughs> my dad couldn't afford an espresso machine and had it at home, and my mom bought a coffee shop and I'd never actually tasted coffee. <laughs> like, that's really random and weird. Yes. And it gets more complicated and stupid from there. <laughs> How long did she have that coffee shop? Uh, she had it for like three years or so, and we were selling Cafe D'Arte's, uh, Sarah, uh, old man Julie Dolly, um, I can't remember her last name at the time, she's a great, incredible barista, competitor and stuff, she came down, she was our rep, she trained us on, uh, espresso and all that, back in the 2003 era, when we had star fruit syrup, uh, we had, what else, I can't quite recall, all those fun Silly things, back when you thought shots would die if they're on the bar for too long, but really what's happening is they're cooling down, you can taste more defects and whatnot. Uh, yeah, so, so I worked at a coffee shop my mom had, and... And how old were you at this point? 17 with braces. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no braces now, so congratulations. It looks like they worked wonderfully. Way yeah. pretty good. Uh, yeah, 17 with braces, and uh, it was a fun... So then I'm just getting coffee there. So that's 2003. 2003. Cool. Yeah. And so you're at your mom's coffee shop in 2003. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Was it like something your mom made you do or did you enjoy going to the shop? It was, yeah, my second job. My first job was a ski instructor, um, obviously seasonally based. And then I got this job, which was like, you know, my, my two my three siblings were working there, two sisters, one brother, and I'm very close with my siblings. So it was a really fun environment. I'd drive up there all the time. I'd bring up my cat in like my coat and show up, get a coffee, have the cat, you know, leave. It was already like a really fun vibe. Um, on Tuesdays, my brother and his best friend would dress up just for to build business because it was our slowest day. And so I already liked it. So then I just started working there and stuff. Um, you know, it was the iced white chocolate mocha, the gateway mocha got me into it. It took a number of years from that coffee shop until I worked at another coffee shop. But then I started like, all right, like I'm gonna have an Americano with a raw sugar. Mm. Yeah, and that's sort of progression. I remember the first time I had a shot of espresso from this dark Italian roast in front of the trainers and all this stuff, and I'm just like, I don't like this. <laughs> you know, but that was a style that I don't really appreciate so much. So it turns out, uh, yeah, just a long, so many stories I actually want to tell, but I'm like, oh shoot, man. Yeah, so you're 17, working in your shop. How long did you end up working in your mom's shop? Uh, she had it for two and a half years and the city actually came and condemned the building because hmm. it was an old gas station uh, and they expanded the road um, and they, we, we had a three months notice to, for five people to lose their job, two businesses that were paid off. So my mom had to move three months notice. So then we all scattered and got different coffee jobs and jobs like that. Yeah, she never recovered from that. That was like a, just to move all of our furniture was like $33,000 from one spot to another. Jeez. So it was pretty, Pretty intense, but that's I why I stopped working for my mom. <laughs> yeah. 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 Holy cow. So if you're going to start a business, check the duration of your lease. 
make sure your duration of your lease is much longer than the duration of your loan. As last year I had an opportunity to buy a bar and they're like, well, you know, XYZ, we're looking at the price. I was like, listen, like, first of all, there's two of you as the owner. You're not taking a salary, you're taking cash on the table. Yeah. That's illegal, but good job. You made three years of this cash on the table. Now it's time to get real. Your salaries cost you each $80,000 that you're not paying. And that's just minimal without overtime. That's just taxes. So I'm going to knock $160,000 off your asking price because I had to replace that. Third of all, your lease is only two years, so at the rate of my payback for your loan, it would be three times your current like profits. I would be paying three times that in yeah. whole. It's like you cannot, you can't sell this business. You do not have the duration and launch pad to take the business to the next level. That's a really good point because I think, especially in food and beverages, outside of a lot of different types of businesses, has almost like a a romanticism about it that people just got so excited about food and beverage. They get so pumped about having a cafe and like, oh, I've been to a bunch of cafes, so I could for sure open one that you just go, oh, it's a a three-year loan and two-year lease, but like, it's going to crush and everything's going to be fine. It's, that's a really, really good point. A lot of people like art, like going to see shows, but somehow they know, I should be in a rock and roll band, but that's like a bad idea. Yeah. They can't write, they can't perform, and they don't want to quit their current job. Yeah, it's like a, for some reason the romantic like I'm gonna blow my two hundred and fifty thousand dollar retirement and open an Italian themed cafe because, gosh darn it, I was in Tuscany one time and I had a coffee and it was really great. Yeah. It made me feel good, so I'm gonna do this. And I'm the one who needs to give this to other people. Yeah. <laughs> so what's kind of your next step in your life? So, you get the three months notice yeah. on the shop, mm. have to close up. Mm-hmm. What's kind of your next step? So you're probably, yeah. what are you, 18, 19 at the time? Yeah, I think, yeah, 19 uh, at this time. Uh, thin as a rail, just like skinny little white kid. <laughs> uh, at that time, I'd gotten the nickname Boy Rista because I was one of the only young males in the area making coffee. Mm-hmm. So that's my Twitter is that because it's kind of funny. Uh, one cynical guy was like, how long can you keep that nickname up? Well, I was like, Whole life, dude. Barely until I'm 33, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on both of us. Uh, uh, So, yeah, like the next day when we wake up, I'm actually gone at this time. I'm in Alabama um, visiting my first girlfriend for, you know, uh, visiting her, and the shop closes down, and I'm not there for that, which I miss in retrospect. It's just the thing that happened. So I come back home, no job. Uh, Great way to meet a girlfriend's parents. Tell them that you're going back home to no job and like you like music and you're doing coffee. <laughs> so I, anyways, come back home and all of our equipment's at the house, you know. Everything's just there, so we start just like drinking coffee at home and everything, and then find another coffee job. Um, and I guess the interesting thing that I found out in hindsight, or made me really good for this job, was I was at this coffee shop, little drive-through, isolated, no food nearby, nothing. You know, so you just where, by yourself. Where is this? Maple Valley, Washington. Okay. And. I just find this book. We had this book with us. Um, I'll send you a picture sometime of this old, ratty, you know, mid-90s book. And I read through all the coffee history. I read all the coffee jokes and facts. And then at the end, it's recipes. I was like, oh, yeah. So I put it aside. And then I come back to it a little bit later. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start drinking through these recipes. And I just put little eight-ounce cups on the side. And, like, one would be a pump of the, two pumps of vanilla and one pump of uh, lemon. That's just an example. I don't recall but oh, it's lemon pie, lemon meringue pie, put toasted marshmallow and the whipped cream on top, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So I just, for the next, like, month or so, I just, every time there's an extra shot, throw it into that cup, seal up a little milk, 
Taste it. Huh. Taste it. It's very much what Palace Coffee and Amarillo, Texas did. They're in the middle of like nowhere. They're seven hours drive, this is 2010 era, from their nearest competition, serious competition. And what they did though is they would watch all these competitions. Hello. Sorry. No, you're good. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd watch all these competitions and they'd be like, oh, these people made whatever this drink, that drink. So as a team, they would deconstruct and make it themselves and taste it and evaluate it and talk about it. And they had their own little like isolated feedback tube or area or lab. But what's happening is they have multiple people working on it. So they're actually like doing their homework hmm. and practicing. And not just practicing the same thing over and over again. Like Bruce Lee says, you know, I'm not afraid of the guy that can throw a thousand punches. I'm afraid of the one guy that's practiced one punch a thousand times. Yeah. Something like that. That's, that's a lot of what I see in the coffee realm. Like... I have friends that hate decaf. I'm like, well, then you don't love coffee. You love caffeine and the flavor, but you don't love coffee, you know? Whereas uh, those palace people and myself, it's just like, all right, let's just get more experiences, get more experiences, and get more experiences. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah, so you're out in Washington uh, in 2010 era, you said? So this is seven yeah. years after the fact of, the, of your mom's cafe. Yeah. Um, and you start making these drinks, is that what eventually led to the shop that you owned out west? Or how did that come to be? Yeah, it would be like 2007 or so, I think is when I was doing those recipes and tasting stuff. Then one of my customers was uh, the family that owned Coffee Fest. They just dropped by and slowly kind of realized they were in coffee and stuff. And, you know, and I'm just being polite and I don't ask more questions or whatever. And then they drop off a ticket to Coffee Fest, um, 2008 Seattle or whatever. I'm like, oh, cool. I go myself, I bring a friend that's really silly um, and works right down the way, so he just like walks from work to it, we hang out, and we go in, and there's the show manager, David Heilbrunn, and he's sitting behind a booth, he looks like just a guy that's like the greeter at this event, you know, like he's just like sitting there nicely waiting, I'm like, oh hey David, you know, thanks for these tickets, I really appreciate that you could get these for us, or it's some sort of like, thanks, like I'm, I'm excited to be part of your world, and like we both love coffee. And then he gives me a show guide, and I look, and sure enough, he's the show president. You know, it's his show, whatever, you know, his family show. Um, so then I start getting into Coffee Fest, and then afterwards, you know, I'm just like, I really appreciate you giving me this exposure. I didn't know this event. I, you know, wow, it was really great. And he's like, hey, if you want to go to Minneapolis 2009 summer, uh, whatever you want, I'll give you the tickets. You can get the, uh, I mean, tickets, access to any uh, class, full on, you know, I'll do the introductions for you. And that's... That was like a big opportunity. I didn't have the money at the time, so my dad paid for a flight ticket. Turns out one of my customers was from there, so I stayed at her sister's house. They picked me up from the airport. They introduced me to kombucha, all this cool stuff. They gave me a bicycle to ride around, and I spent that summer, 2009, Minneapolis. That's where I met tons of people, because it was a low-attended show. And I'm the crazy guy that flew in from Seattle that's even more skinny at this point, <laughs> even more hungry, and asking every single booth, every single person questions at all the after parties, doing all the stuff. That's where I miss, meet, meet Cristoferio, or Furio, and he trains me lots here one-on-one because I was the only person in the class. Yeah. I was just really just continuing to try and work and work and work. And then I come back on the flight home, I write a business plan for a cafe. It's just like, ends up being exactly what Gaslight Coffee Roasters is in Chicago or Spy House, that kind of, Indiana Jones opens a cafe and makes it really tasty. And, uh, and then I just start looking for places online and I start looking at cafes and I check out seven ca- coffee shops on Craigslist. 
and I email her and she's like, hey, I'm really interested. I, you know, I'm working on a budget about this much. Um, your shop is in that range. I'd love to see it. I'm available these days. Check out seven coffee shops. Um, that becomes a whole nother topic of like how to pick out a coffee shop yeah. and all that. Yeah, so um, one thing I think you're really great at is I hate the word networking. I think it's like <laughs> networking has this, I've told Jeff this many times, it like has this weird fake energy about it that you're like, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? How can yeah. we do it? But, it doesn't uh, sound like people interacting. Yeah, <laughs> and there's there's no better word for it, unfortunately. But what I think you're Friend great. Yeah, friend <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think you're really good at connecting with people and making connections regardless of kind of what people do. Uh, that's how we got connected at Coffee Fest. Yeah. In, you came uh, to my house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving through. Uh, Milwaukee and literally stopped by his house. You cra- uh, I think you crashed a date of mine even. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I crashed a date of mine. <laughs> yeah. Hey, me and my uh, my close friend and then a guy I don't know are going to come <laughs> on a date. Is that cool? Uh, I think you're really good at it and it shows when you come to these um, festivals. And it can be intimidating. Uh, my first time was Coffee Fest in uh, Nashville, where we are now. Uh, and I was not in the coffee world. I was still selling beer at the time. Uh, knew I wanted to get into coffee, and this is the first thing I found. Uh, so what tips do you have for someone who's, whether you're not in coffee now, whether you're in coffee, experienced veteran, what tips do you have for someone attending any sort of festival or trade show event so that it's valuable? Because I've, my experience has been it's as valuable as you make it, uh, and so it's, but it's not gonna fall in your lap. And so what is your advice for someone attending one of these shows for the first time or just attending any show on how to get the most value out of something like this? Yeah, you mentioned the networking thing. People listening don't know, I'm, I'm on my phone on conversation right now. You know, like, no, I thought it would be more funny. It was more funny when you said it, but <laughs> good networking. Yeah, I'm on a phone right now. I'm talking to other people while you're interviewing me. <laughs> I invite this person in. Yeah. <laughs> Just, made, again, it, we're, made we're, another connection right there. We're in like this back dungeon room of coffee champs and no one knows we're back here except for Carly and so we get a lot of visitors. We do. Yeah, so let's just Anyways, say... I heard yeah. your question. I tried to make that joke. Just cut it off. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so let's, uh, you know, coffee festivals typically start 9 a.m. Saturday. How do you approach it? Let's yeah. say you're not presenting, you're not demoing. You What's don't, that like? It's, oh. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't it's have like a, your you, whole job, right? <laughs> a yeah. lot of it. So you don't have a booth, you're just attending. How, yeah. how would you approach it going into a two-day festival beginning 9 a.m. Saturday? Kind of how yeah. do you approach a full weekend? Well, I mean, obviously get involved however you can, volunteering. It sounds silly or whatever, but then you have a built-in network that like, oh, I'm keeping time with... Jeff, oh Jeff, what's your story? And then we talk and chit chat, whatever. And you just create a connection there. But then also people see you and you get that little bit of credibility of like, oh, I'm wearing the red Ernex or now blue Ernex apron. I'm in the industry. I'm not just someone um, walking the floor that doesn't really care that's like, I just happen to walk in. Um, but then you get to see a side of the event. And then if you go to any of the networking events afterwards or after parties, you have something of value to share and be like, oh yeah, the event was really cool. You know, I was keeping time, you know, at this competition, I gotta see this person's routine. And you have actual built-in content, if you will, to network with <laughs> and give to people as a little gift. But uh, uh, I was talking to Lee Gordon from Ernix yesterday, 
And I was like, hey, man, you know, just collecting tips from people on trade shows, so it's funny you would ask. And I was like, do you have any like, tips about trade shows? And he like, stopped for like a good like 10 seconds, and he's like, you know, I like to get into the trade show and just real quick see everything, don't talk to anybody, and then I come back and I'm like, okay, what was the biggest impression? Or what were the three things I saw, like, oh, a bunch of roasters. You know what? I only saw one tea vendor. Okay, I saw a bunch of beverages. I only saw one burrito or food vendor. Oh, these are all interesting to me. And then he rewalks the floor. <laughs> today, that's what it is there. There's a lot of coffee, but yeah. you know, no, one tea place. Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to approach it, too, based on kind of your goals at attending shows. Obviously, yeah. Jeff and I's goal this weekend was uh, coffee tasters was our main goal, but uh, we've taken a lot of value in meeting other roasters and learning what other people are doing and getting a lot of feedback from that. Um, yeah. So then there's, before the event, obviously look at the website, add into your calendar or in a cheater notes, you know, on your phone that's quickly accessible. It's something you can get that you know exactly where you need to be, where you want to be. Um, <clears throat> follow the hashtags that they put on their website ahead of time, because that's where they announce parties. Um, it's really, you think, you know, you're going to be on the fly and good at looking up those emails, but it's really distracting. Um, to try and find those emails. Everybody wants to trade cards. Usually what I do, I've been a, bit, a little bit more lax on this lately, is I say, hey, you know, I have a card, but I'd rather just send you an email right away. And I just get the card, send them an email. Nice to meet you. We talked about this. Let me know if you have any other questions. Emailed off. Yeah. It's 30 seconds and then I don't have to carry a card. Yeah. What I used to do on the plane uh, trip home is on my phone off of Wi-Fi, off of, you know, on airplane mode. I grab all the cards. Hey, it was nice to meet you, XYZ, whatever I remember from the conversation. Put a little tear in the card, put it back in my bag, so I know I've contacted them. Hmm. And I have a drawer of cards just because it's kind of like a fun, like, yeah, there's all these people and stuff, it's kind of fun. And like, it's funny when you can see an old card show back up and they're at a new job, and just like, ah, oh, that's funny to me, yeah. entertaining. But it's really just like knocking on the door, saying hi at the party. Like, I, w- I walk up to groups all the time, and some people, I imagine, it intimidates them because they're scared because they would never do that. Or maybe they've seen me around and they like don't want to talk to me, or they do. But I'll walk up all the time and be like, oh, hey guys, you know, I just, I just kind of like walk around meeting people. I haven't said hi to you guys. I was, you know, are you guys here locally? It's a trade show. Half the people aren't. Yeah. You know, especially at a networking thing or these type of shows. Man, it must be forty percent of the same people at every single show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's me. <laughs> I'm one yeah. of them. That's the event staff itself. And then there's just like. Um, enthusiasts and competitors and the competitors entourage mm-hmm. you know Cole's one of those rare people Cole McBride that travels alone because he's worked at a bunch of different places and even last year when he took first place for the US he was independent because he was between stuff Whoa. between gigs like that's a crazy anomaly yeah. in itself but he's there at the parties but he's not competing the next day you know he's responsible um but he's always around. It's like, there's another guy like me. Like, I'm always around. I work for this big global company, but they just sent me, and I'm there solo <laughs> very often. Yeah, and volunteering, <laughs> spill, uh, volunteering and doing those things is also gives you kind of a good opportunity of, like, what do you talk about when you walk into a random group? You, well, you're probably talking to them because you saw them earlier or something, and it gives you kind of, like, a fun opportunity in that sense to be like, hey, I'm some stranger. But it's like, oh, I saw you while I was judging the barista competition. Um, 
So I think those are really good takeaways. And honestly, I think more gets done at these after parties probably yeah. than the actual trade shows. Well, at the trade show floor, what's happening for me as a vendor, you guys don't know this, but two people flew in globally, our global VP team. So as I'm there giving away like cocktail kits and talking about zesters and uh, shakers and um, strainers, there's two global people watching me from the corner. Like they're doing their own thing, but they're like subtly there. I'm just explaining like, ooh, this pressure, that's not really pressure, but I feel it, you know? Yeah. Like, all these people are there, but they're on their guard a lot because they have to say what the brand wants. It's, you know, they're, they're not representing themselves 100%. They're getting paid by somebody that has a speech they want to give, you know, they, they want to sell. At the after parties, people are just being people, having a good time. <laughs> they're there because they love the industry, and that becomes more apparent. It's not that they're like, oh, they secretly hate where they work. But then it's like, well, you know, I didn't want to get into coffee to sell equipment. Duh. I got into coffee because I love tea. And that's Jordan's story from Spirit Tea. He's working at Bun. He's like, it's a great job, but I realize I actually just love tea. Like, I'm in the coffee industry because of tea. And then eventually he leaves there and starts a tea company. Hmm. And now he's at these trade shows again, but repping his own thing. Yeah. Um, so there's those types of people there that are genuine, good, big hearts. But uh, at these networking parties afterwards, friend working parties is where you get in touch. <laughs> there needs to be a better word. That's awesome. I like that I'm saying in a puddle now. <laughs> um, so let's go back to Washington. That's a great sound, buddy. <laughs> what are those videos called? Uh, have you seen these videos that people make where all they do is make sounds with like their mouths and hands? Oh, no, so I hate the that. ASMR video. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's a thing. People, yeah. there are there apparently there are people who are like genetically predispositioned to like sounds. Dude, we should, or hate. We should start one of those. Uh, yeah, that'll be the Bully Coffee show. podcast after show. It's What's just, the name? <laughs> ASMR. I don't know what it stands for. ASMR. It's it's like it's like people people chewing, which is my biggest pet peeve in the world. So I don't get it. Oh yeah, <laughs> super strange. <laughs> oh, <laughs> have you ever had one that has worked on you? No. There's a wide range. Oh, no, they all make me very irate. <laughs> uh, so the, the pulse sound reminded me of that. Let's go back to Washington. So, <laughs> so you are going on Craigslist. Uh, you've yeah. got a budget. If you don't mind me asking, kind of uh, where are you pulling your funds from to be able to start it? Yeah, so I was a barista that previously did not have a job. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm working on that sweet, sweet barista money. Yeah, you know? it's very uh, lucrative. Yeah, so I had pooled together... Uh, that's great. That was, that was pretty good. A measly $1,200. That's all I had. Yeah. So then I had the choice of I could go to a bank and turn that into a little bit more money, or I could keep that and just start approaching businesses and learn about how to buy a business without actually buying one. And what, what did you search for on Craigslist as you're looking coffee for? Coffee shop. Just coffee shop. Under $100,000. Okay. Started there. It was, I think it was seven shops under $100,000. Yeah. Lo and behold, like what really these shops were is either it was someone's tax shelter that was making $0, but they just had it and a huge headache every single day to then like go on a trip to Costa Rica and write it off their taxes as non-income, which is not worth the effort in my opinion. And the potential downside of like someone getting hurt and getting sued. Yeah. Like you can, your shop, someone can just fall in the parking lot. It's not even your property, you pay rent, but they left your shop with your cup of coffee, and so therefore you're part of the lawsuit. Jeez. You know, like stuff like that. Like I just had, last month, someone was moving out of their house and moving into one, I have a rental property, and they got robbed from their last house. I just got paid two days ago from December for the first time because all, 
all their money got like was gone. They had to switch accounts and all this stuff. This is like, yeah, these things happen. Like, yeah. anyway, so my budget was, I had twelve hundred dollars. I started looking because I wanted to learn about it and not have that expensive lesson. Yeah. So I was like, okay, does it hurt? I have the time. I can start to look at shops now. It turns out the first shop I looked at is the one I ended up circling back to and buying. Um, I used that like three month process or so to just be like, hey, I'm available, but you know, I'm sorry, it's just out of my budget. This just I don't see the ROI. Kept saying that, kept saying that. I meant it, so I had nothing to lose. And then it turned out coming back to me for almost half price by the time we got to the three weeks Whoa. later. Yeah. What happened was what should have been the, the lesson where I could have gotten an even better deal was they were about to close. The guy was fed up. I mentioned some people buy a job, some people buy a t- tax shelter. This guy had started the coffee shop as a distraction because his home life was really poor at the time. Um, and so he had this thing he could work on and make and do good. It served its purpose. He had it for two years. Got, it got, uh, he paid off all the debts from the machines and stuff. He's like, okay, I'm done. This isn't worth it anymore. I'm not making money. I got my distraction. I'm going to sell it. And now the time to sell is when I get money. So he wanted, of course, a bunch of money and all that sort of stuff. And uh, where I made my mistake is I should have waited till the day after he closed. I should have been like, it's only eight more days. You know, I could have just been like, hey man, you got eight days to sell it. Here's what I have. Yeah. I'd love to buy it today, but I'm imagining you're gonna close it, you're gonna lose all your clientele, and I'm gonna buy it from you for this much. Happy to buy it before you close. I'm not really concerned about losing your clientele because I'm going to change it and make it better. In my head, I would say that, not to his face. But, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, when you're working with, uh, I don't know, it's pretty easy to buy a coffee shop. Hard to buy a profitable, clean one, but pretty easy to buy a coffee shop yeah. and then clean it up. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, two things that strike me about that is, again, we don't have a retail space, we're all wholesale, so cafe is not in my world. Uh, but that surprises me. Of um, sometimes it's almost this big romantic thing that you just—it's like this kind of looming thing that you look at as like this impossible goal. And it's so funny to hear you say, literally, Craigslist did it, had yeah. a budget, twelve hundred dollars in the in the pocket, and you made it work. Yeah. And uh, that's really interesting to hear uh, as a wholesale roaster. And. I think my big takeaway from what you just said is almost unintentionally you did it from an unemotional perspective of negotiating. Yeah. That I think if you get your heart set on a place and you, all of a sudden you lose all your leverage because you go, it has to be this place, it has to be this location, it has to be this shop, and all of a sudden you're willing to pay whatever regardless if they know that or not. And by looking at other places and taking your time and taking a few months to uh, even looking back on it now you probably could have saved more but you yeah. saved half the cost of it by just not being emotionally invested into it and that's a hu- I think that's a huge takeaway for anyone looking to get into something like this is that yeah. like don't be totally in, like t- tied to one spot yeah and it goes back to the bar thing I mentioned before it was six weeks raised cap raised capital it was like people had a quarter of a million dollars cash that I had access to yeah I went through the process, four negotiations back and forth. We both had a broker. And I was just like, hey, I'm sorry, it's worth three, and you're asking $840,000. Jeez. The building, tax wise, the building is assessed at $900,000. For an extra $60,000 in theory, I could own your business. Like, it's just not worth it. Yeah. 
And then it was like, okay, that was the end of the negotiation. I was like, all right. <laughs> but like, I didn't go and pursue this thing because it was the perfect bar. In yeah. my opinion, I loved the bar. It was yeah. stories. I had the whole plan figured out. But like, I'm not going to spend three times what I should. Yeah. Now I own something that keeps me up at night, literally till 3 a.m. Yeah. And anything could go wrong. And how, how did you... And I'm in debt, you know. Um, almost a million dollars. Yeah, so you find that uh, you need that, you said 250000 Yeah, raised so, from friends and stuff that had cash. Okay, crazy, right? so that's how you did it, is you go to friends and family, and yeah. you, obviously at this point you're professional in the industry. Um, is that just how you did it? You show your business plan, you presented it to people, the profitability of it, and that's how you were able to raise it? through. So the, the first time I had the cash... And by the time I got to negotiations and stuff, I said, hey, here's where I'm at. You're closing down soon. I have $1,200. We can spend three months and let me go to the bank and blah, 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 and all this stuff. I'd rather just give you $1,200. Next month, give you $1,000. Next month, give you $1,000. You're losing 20 to $30 a day. Hmm. I know that. You're going from losing $1,000 to making $1,000. Hmm. I'm not saying take that off the price. I'm just saying you're making $2,000 more per month. And if I don't pay it back, it's called like a... Uh, land contract, land grab, something like that. There's a term for it. Basically, you're paying the owner. The owner still owns it on paper and everything. You have your own LLC, but if at one point you don't make good on it, it's back to the old owner. <laughs> you lose all your equity. No harm, no fault. I didn't do good. I tried. Until it's paid off. Until it's so. paid off. Okay. And then once it's paid off, boom. But it's yours. There's yours. Huh. I've never yeah. heard of that. Yeah. It's, owners don't like doing that because then they do assume a lot of risk yeah. still. Yeah. But it's for people that like cannot get a loan. Right. That's like, awesome. like a 24 or 26-year-old barista that has a problem. <laughs> so you close on the place, he agrees to it. It's a shop that, so it's an existing coffee shop. Yeah. Uh, what are your next steps after that? Yeah, with that one, um, just clean stuff up. Um, what happens, I was looking at all these different shops, and there's like things I liked about them, things I didn't. And, you know, I like the idea of coffee and all that. But at that point, I've been in it for however many years. Um, and six years. And... This one, it was like, I don't like that shop because X, Y, Z, it's dirty, it has bad coffee, the equipment's like dying, the customer service was terrible, X, Y, Z. As I'm going through all this stuff, I'm like, shoot, that's stuff I'm actually really good at. I can fix the equipment, that's no problem. I just take part of the panels, powder coat them, put them back on, it looks like a new machine. Change up the coffee. I can clean and get new burrs. I can get new burrs for that, and I know the coffee will improve. I can change up the coffee, and I know it will improve, like X, Y, Z, all this stuff. And so, ultimately, I was like, actually, the things I don't like about the shop are what I'm good at. Yeah. And so I found the fit that was missing me, and I added myself to the equation. Yeah. You see a lot of, especially in restaurants, take over old restaurants, yeah. and they do very little, and they go, this should work. And you see there yeah. are places in Minneapolis that seems like there's a new place every year. Um, that's interesting to look at what you're good at, and if that's what's wrong with it, then it can work. Yeah. And if that's not what's wrong with it, if they're already doing that, maybe it's not a good idea. You're just gonna change from one flavor to the next, like if it's already an established brand, and you're like, well, I wanna do this other brand. That's hard. Because people were attracted to that brand or location. Like, that's hard to change. Yeah. But if it was like there was no branding, it was just a building, and no personality, Yeah. well, now you're bringing branding to it. That should attract people. Mm. So how long did it take you from acquiring the shop uh, and cleaning it up and making it what you wanted it to be to opening? Oh, I just kept just rolling. Okay, cool. Yeah, I bought it. It was closed on Sundays, 
And uh, so their last day was a Saturday. I let my boss know, like, once it was all official on a Friday. It's like, hey, um, called him up. And I was like, I just bought a coffee shop. And uh, just, <laughs> it happened really quick. I was just looking for an opportunity, it came up. He knew I wanted to buy his shop too. Yeah. So it was kind of an awkward thing. I'm like, hmm. And um, I was working most of the hours there and whatever and stuff. I was like, you know, like, I have a shift tomorrow. I understand if you don't want me to work it. I have a shift Monday, but that's when I take over the shop. I kind of need to be there. I need, I need the barista. And it's like, okay, like, you know, uh, thanks for letting me know. I understand. Um, prefer if you didn't work tomorrow, just because it's kind of weird. I was like, I totally understand. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, I will drop off your paycheck. Just, you know, email me where your address is and everything. And I was like, one mile away. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, eh, you know. It wasn't like a prime location, just happened to be very close. Yeah. Uh, and then I go in on Saturday, I get the keys, give the guy some money um, and stuff. I kind of walk around, look at everything, wash all the windows, kind of like just hang out in the space. Close Sunday, go in for a cup of coffee on Sunday, and then just open up on Monday and people were there. There was no, they had no idea or anything. All of a sudden, it's just like a new guy. Yeah. And I was like, hey, yeah, you know, like, welcome to the shop. Um, I just bought this. Like, I'm just... <laughs> gonna clean this up I really appreciate you coming in on our first day and they're like oh okay I'm like get me a coffee yeah. <laughs> some people really cared some people yeah. didn't yeah. you know yeah. like, so, uh, it was a drive through so there's not a lot of people walking up in it oh okay yeah, yeah. you could walk in but it was mostly drive through yeah. so it's kind of funny cool and um, so what kind, What was your coffee program like what were your most popular beverages and did it change a lot from the previous ownership uh, with what you were implementing or did you find that the customer base was kind of the same good question um, so what did I implement and change? Obviously, it took a while, but the cleaning up everything, cleaning the equipment, all the stuff I talked about. The espresso machine was in this one weird area where someone pulls up and, you know, hi, welcome to the shop. And then they're like, oh, I'll have this drink. And they would walk behind the window that has all the faded specials taped with multiple layers of tape holding it up in the breeze and then disappear behind it and make the drink and then come back. Yeah. So what I did is I cleaned up all that stuff. Um, I made just a simple menu board. They had like cappuccino, latte, ice latte, all on the menu. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Ingredient-wise, it's hot or cold, and it's basically the same thing. People don't even know the difference between a latte and a cappuccino here in the drive through world. I'm guessing they don't really care. So I just took down the menu. And people were like, oh, your price is increasing. I was like, no, 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 no. And I put out a chalkboard that just had five specials. Hmm. So I always just had like one to five specials out there. And when people would pull up, it was hilarious. They'd look around for the menu and be like, hey, this is a coffee shop. I'm the owner operator. Everything here is you know, moderately priced. I have all the ingredients you need. So like, whatever you like, I can just make that. Like, I can make an Americano, I can make a latte. And these are my specials right now. I mean, I have everything, so like, whatever you want. And I can tell you the price before you, like, you know, even make it, you know? <laughs> and they'd be like, oh. It was more like a bar, it was more yeah. like, you know, like what Slate did in retrospect. Not really, I mean, it's a drive through you know, like it's ridiculous. But to the person that walking up, they knew why they were going into that bar or cafe. They had an idea. Um, I'm the same way where, like, I kind of want to see the menu, but I know what I'm going to get. Right. Like, you know? Like, right. You're going, into, you're going out of your way to get this thing. You don't go to, well, you might go to, like, a Target not knowing what you want to kill time. Yeah. You certainly leave with more than what you thought. But you know, it's like half of what Target makes for their money. It's got to be... Uh, half of the revenue has to be n- unintentional purchases. <laughs> yeah. That's that's an interesting idea, though, because that, like, without the menu, it doesn't give the customers any kind of idea about 
who you are other than what you put out there, the specialty drinks, makes it all about them and what they want. Yeah. Like, there's some suggestions that are seasonal, like, I mean, like a gingerbread mocha, something like that, you know, mm-hmm. like, I'm saying very simple. We did a marzipan latte one time. It was almond. Almond and vanilla. But people, like, love <laughs> almond, but they just don't give it the time of day. They're like, almond, that's boring. You know, like, vanilla and almond together tastes like marzipan, and it's really delicious. <laughs> um, yeah, but people knew what they wanted, so I just wanted to clean it all up and then reset. And mostly that menu was ugly. Uh, So this is where my knowledge gap of the life of Levi ends. I knew you had the shop because I listened to your podcast, Audio Cafe, uh, and talked about kind of the shop in its entirety. Uh, And now I meet you at Coffee Fest in Nashville in 2017 as representative for uh, Da Vinci with, again, made up job of making drinks. Yeah. and drink recipes and like they're mixologist expert for their uh, line of products how did you get to that point can we break this up into a two part episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah. dude Cause it's getting long yeah. I don't know your bandwidth is on your listenership that I'm sure you know yeah. this is kind of a long one we'll break teaser Work. I'm cool with it man uh, my personal philosophy on podcasts is you can break it up and listen to it whenever it's not the radio you don't have to stay tuned to it so I think as long as I'm really enjoying what I'm hearing. You keep it rolling. Keep it one long one. Okay. Yeah, man. All right. Um, you know, yeah. if, it, if it feels right. Yeah. You, know. you decide later because I just announced it. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know for you, but my podcast, like, I can't go beyond like 40 minutes. Otherwise, I get charged like extra. Huh. And my oh. enormous budget, like, I tr- I choose to allocate it to other places than the extra five dollars a month. Yeah. yeah. We did. We did not run into any of that stuff yet we'll so figure it out when we get there uh, right now we're just talking into a microphone <laughs> it's true yeah uh, then I have the coffee shop I choose to uh, I entertain the idea of either I mean just next level this shop isn't making a lot of money I bought a job you know so I'm like okay I'm working a lot I'm doing the four so you're able to, to pay yourself it's you're breaking above even you're not losing money but yeah, it's not forward. but it's not growing and it's not gonna you know you're not able to take a lot of money outside of just paying yourself. If I don't work it, it hardly makes any money. Okay. So it's hard. Okay, so like, okay, I'm I'm married to this job right now. Yeah. That's fine. I'm cool with that. But like, all right, well, where where do I want to learn? Where do I want to grow? If it took me two and a half years to pay it off, which is what it took, like, where do I want to be the next two and a half years? So I started like looking at stuff, interviewing at roasteries to do like, business development. I'm like, well, that's essentially what I'm doing for my own business. Mm-hmm. I go back to school and get a marketing degree, so I'm working on that on the side, too. Uh, and they're like, you know, okay, I guess I got two rounds. One, I can try and sell it for, like, some nice pile of cash. You know, that's a cool idea. Or two, I can try and remodel it again. I have this weird hunch and uh, belief that if I document every little thing and I turn it into this big series of blog posts of, like, how to shop for cheap counters. Why I went with this. You can lacquer this cheap board. It looks great. How to... F- every DUI cafe... You know, I didn't actually come up with a name or whatever. Ultimately, this is what turns into the kind of what the podcast is the hobby of. Um, it's like, okay, well, I can do that. I can either sell it or I can remodel it, trusting that I'll get this website that has, like, re- reoccurring revenue. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I really know how to sell drinks. I think I could sell this cafe. I don't know how to do any websites. <laughs> so I'm gonna do this, this, just to sell it. Write so this really good romance copy. I'm like, hey, honestly, you know, I just got this cafe. It's a job. It's a perfect job for anyone that wants to get, you know, a parent into this. You know, has a kid that maybe like, 
is entrepreneurial. This is a really fun cafe. You can learn. I'll stay on for a month. I'll, you know, I write this just long, long description. And so then what happens, I posted it. I started to get people coming in and like being kind of odd. My customers on the weekends and later at night, very strange customers. Lots of questions, lots of looking around, lots of weird phrases. And like my bottom line starts increasing. I'm like, son of a gun, <laughs> putting my cafe up for sale. It was one of like the most profitable decisions I've made already. <laughs> just from purely people coming to check it out because of yeah, that. Yeah, secretly checking it out. Some guerrilla marketing there. Yeah, I was like, wow. this is amazing. <laughs> so I didn't mean, do like double, but you know, there's like an extra like 10% for yeah. like a stupid little crisis ad. <laughs> I'm getting lots of emails from people and lots of questions and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I decided to sell it, and I sold it from that first post to money in hand within like three months. Wow. I'm like, oh, well, now I need to get a job. <laughs> and so then I started uh, looking around, and I got a job at Cafe Ladro, which was a really cool opportunity. I worked there for three months, and then uh, put out a And what were, you, what were you doing at Cafe, uh, Cafe Ladro? One of the seven locations, coffee educators. Cool. Um, so we would go to the hub, all seven of us, and Maxwell Mooney worked there. I worked with him. Uh, Terka Rack of the cafe, um, Alaro Mazoko Cafe. Um, Michael Ryan from Dapper and Wise in Portland. Like a lot of other really great people. A guy that's in one of my favorite local bands was one of them too. Like just weird hub of people under, under Layla Gumbari. Um, and so there for three months, I filled out a monster.com resume and I just put in as many buzzwords as I can. And then within like a month, I got an interview for this job. And so the Cafe Ladro job, where was that in the U.S.? Issaquah, Washington, okay. Seattle. So you're still in Washington out there, yeah. put your uh, job up on Monster, and then... That put my resume. Your, your resume up on Monster, um, and that brings you to Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah. And what year was that? 2013. So you've been at it for about five, six years now. In between there, when I had my cafe or coffee shop, drive through, I call it dive through. You know, it's as big as this room with studs, so a little bit smaller. Yeah. <laughs> and a bathroom. Um, and it's still there. It's, someone else has bought it now last year, which is kind of cool. Um, I worked with Bellissimo in Portland for a little bit. Just when they needed help, I'd drive down, wake up at like three in the morning, drive all the way down to Portland, work for a few days, get a little bit of money, get some industry awareness and exposure, learn this other side of the business. I worked at uh, Coffee Fest for a season, 2012, from like Valentine's Day to the day before my birthday or something crazy like that. Um, I'm, like, I'm going around, I'm volunteering at the, all these events. That's how I met Layla in the first place. Um, just bussing tables and stuff. Hmm. Um, doing sound, stuff that is like non-sensory because I knew I'm not that level of like an amazing competitor, judge. Um, so I'm doing all that sort of stuff. Hmm. And then I get this interview, fly out, and get the job offer, and it happens to be quite a bit more than a cafe job as far as salary goes. <laughs> um, and flash forward, I wake up in uh, Wisconsin. I had rented a car from the airport, and I have to return the car and start, you know, work at 8 a.m. And I take a taxi to work. And uh, they gave me my phone and stuff, and I checked my bank account because I just filled the coffee shop. I just got a signing bonus for this industry job, and I had more money in my account than I had made last year on paper. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, that's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of nice. 
like, all right, now it's going to be a new set of lessons. And a um, little bit out of my element as far as working in corporate America. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I just went from a job where I had like four employees, or I worked at a privately held event company that had six employees, or for Cafe Lodge, which had like, I'm not sure, I, th- I thought it was like under 90 people. It was like grocery, bakery, and cafe. And now I work with 22,000 coworkers. Whoa. Totally. Yeah. So, so explain your role and what you do now. Kind of what's your official title and kind of what is like, it's not a normal week because things are crazy for you, but what, what does kind of your normal schedule look like on a weekly basis now? Yeah, my dad said this a long time ago to me when um, I was 18 and I started having a relationship with him again and stuff and like working on his house and like, you know, who's this guy that I kind of like don't know, mm. which is kind of crazy. Mm. Um, and we're just talking about stuff, and basically he just told me the phrase eventually. He's like, you know, uh, I gauge my timeline. My, my time is obviously by year, you know, the time of the day, but really, like, my segments are paychecks. Every two weeks is a new period. And now that's, like, how I live my life. I'm like, there's no typical week, you know, like, it's just, like, by pay period. It's kind of weird. What's going on for the next two so, weeks? Yeah, what's the next two weeks, or, like, when between this and the next flight, you yeah. know, or stuff like that. Um, so my job is liquid chef, because I do liquid assembly of, or assembly of liquid products. Um, Sounds like a name for a really trendy, like, brunch spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were coming up last night. Oh, me and my scientist I'm working with at this show, and he's like, I explained to him some other bar ideas I had and dumb stuff, and we're just having a couple awesome cocktails and food and debriefing, and after a day of talking all day when you're just like, Talking to trade show people, like your brain gets fried and you get into this, like almost like you might as well be on some sort of hallucinogenic drug because your brain's like made all these weird connections for the day. So we're just talking about bar concepts. And he's like, You know what I really like? He's like, I really like when people forage. And I was like, Well, what about urban foraging? He's like, What do you mean? He's like, Dumpster diving. What about dumpster? Would you go to a restaurant that had dumpster divers, like chefs? And he's like, Well, I would. I don't know if people would. It's like, what about a bar? It's a pop-up once a week in another bar, so there's no overhead. Only forage from dumpsters, but it's called wasted. (laughs) (laughs) So now I have a new hobby. The PR would write itself. It's really, yeah. I had a kid bar idea, because in Wisconsin you can drink with your parents until you're 18. (laughs) So I'm going to open a bar that's just for kids, called the Milk Bar. Come on. It's even adults, but it's for kids, because... Alright, so keep an eye out for Urban Forage Bar. Wasted. Wasted. And then what's the name of the kids' bar? Milk Bar. Milk Bar. Uh, so, <laughs> going back to what we were talking about. Yeah, what were we talking about? Liquid <laughs> Chef, what does that entail? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's not a restaurant, that's my title. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, came up with that title, yeah. obviously. Because uh, I was introducing myself as like, oh, like, I'm the beverage product specialist. That's my title. And like, that sounds like entry level. I might as well be stocking shelves, beverage product specialist. What if that's a salesperson's title? I don't know what this is. Yeah. And so I was like, well, if I say barista, then I'm also doing tea and cocktails, mocktails, milkshakes. So that came up with the liquid chef. Basically, um, I support about 100 people in the U.S. and then globally another mix of team. They'll reach out to me on Instagram, on my Facebook, on email, stuff like that. Um, which is really fun to see, like, oh, I work with you in Russia, crazy. Like, I got a Facebook request the other day from someone in Russia. I was like, I don't know this person. And I did the info. I was like, oh, they work where I work. Huh. Wow. So then I emailed them to work. I was like, hey, did you send me a Facebook request? 
And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I just see your post and stuff. It sounds really cool. Like, oh, weird. But basically, I help salespeople. They'll email me in. A good example is we have a uh, butterscotch syrup, a historical syrup that made a lot of sense in the 80s and 90s. Butterscotch uh, as a candy, as a flavor. And you may have heard of this thing called Bulletproof Coffee that uses butter. So, Sorry, can well, I be in here? And yeah, we're just going to be done in two minutes. Is that okay? Thank you. It's like five minutes. Was that just kidding? So like they email me and they're like, hey, like, Bulletproof Coffee, they explain the trend. I'm like, I've been drinking that since 2011. I understand. Um, and they got through the thing, you know, and then the email. And they're like, so we have this butterscotch syrup. Could we make a Bulletproof with our butterscotch syrup? You know, they'll ask, these salespeople ask these great questions or like, they don't know about this or like, what equipment? And so then I explain to the salesperson, like, hey, that butterscotch syrup, this is really the intended use. You know, we're talking about Bulletproof. You know, I don't think that that brand fits into this flavor profile and X, Y, Z. And I'll just educate our salespeople. Hmm. They'll come in, they'll fly in from Australia, from Paris, from um, Hong Kong, like that's the furthest, furthest they've come from, um, from Ireland, and I'll spend two days and I'll explain, here's what a barista uses and doesn't use, and here's why pumps make sense in a cafe but not in a bar, because you're already pouring the spirits. It's actually to learn something new if you have to pump it. Like, so actually that's why bartenders usually want to have that still aesthetic of tipping a bottle upside down. You know, we're just talking about everything. Yeah. Um, so I help salespeople with that. And then lots of trade shows. 12 trade shows last year that I was working the booth. Plus like these shows, this is a trade show. And then uh, recipe development for our accounts. So a big cafe. They might buy so much of our purees that they just send me in to work with a competitive, direct competitive product. But I'll take their shit, their uh, uh, kitchen, and I'll say, okay, you got this syrup, you've got this um, strawberry, you have ginger, and uh, you know, or cucumber for your salad bar, or whatever you know, pickled ginger and stuff like this. All right, cool. Let's take that cucumber. That's amazing in lemonade. Anything acidic, you, let's blend up a whole orange wedge or lime wedge into your blender with your smoothie base, and it actually is really fantastic. You get that pith, you get the full expression and acidity. And they're like, wow, you can't blend up citrus. I'm like, yeah, you can, let's blend it. Boom. You just do stuff like that. That's awesome, man. And that is so crazy that you found that job by just posting it on Monster with <laughs> yeah. buzzwords of what you're good at. And yeah. they found you through that site. Uh, well, I mean, this was in 2013. We weren't doing that. It was just coconut lattes. Yeah. And it was very basic stuff. But what we have found, which was my, you know, my hunch and is if you go into these presentations with like 80% you can do this tomorrow and then 20% this is crazy but it tastes really good. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Like we did one, we were doing a barbecue pairing ribs. So I took maple syrup, apple cider vinegar, and smoke, liquid smoke, and I made a drink out of that. They didn't want that, but it was part of the pairing. They're like, this is pretty cool. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it sounds like we're getting kicked out of our room here. It does. But that was awesome, man. That's a, I didn't know a lot of your story. I, I respect the heck out of just... <laughs> you just do it, man. You just like, you know what, I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. And that's, I think that's a really cool thing that I think a lot of people put on a pedestal mm -hmm. as like, well, I can't ever get a job mixing drinks for this... Uh, worldwide company, how? Because I I've never done that, but yeah. you just took what you had, 
you posted it. You, I mean, you just bought the cafe. You took what you knew yeah. and you just did it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, well, you um, worked really hard. <laughs> yeah, worked really hard. Like that. Is, yeah. The, yeah, you don't need more. Four thirty to six thirty now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. But um, seriously, man, appreciate the time. Uh, where can people find? You? What's your name? Of your podcast. Audio Cafe. Audio Cafe. It's the same on Instagram. There's an underscore or something like that. Yeah. Audio underscore Cafe. Yeah. I know that because I follow it. Yeah. Uh, um, Twitter. Boy Rista. Boy Rista. Yeah. Anything else you want to shout out as we're wrapping up? Oh man. I hope people listened. I hope people took inspiration. I hope it was funny. I hope people let down their guard next time they want to say hi in public. Because sometimes people come up to me, like, oh, I'll be talking, they'll walk by and they'll stop, and like, I know that they recognize my voice. And sometimes they'll say, hey, like, I recognize your voice. I think that's the coolest thing. And if you want to talk to me, you have the right to come up and talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, go up and talk to other people and just leave with some sort of interesting fact. Don't be afraid to start a conversation, and don't be afraid. Last night, there were people that were hanging out, and they started talking about fermentation. Got five steps above my education and experience. So I just put my hand on both their shoulders. There's three people. And they all looked at me and they're like, oh, we're so sorry. It's like, no, this is an amazing conversation. I'm just gonna go talk about sugar or something you know, <laughs> silly. <laughs> yeah, this was fantastic. I, you know, and I left the conversation. But it was just about networking. Yeah. Cool. Everybody, friend work. Dude, appreciate the time in the middle of your Sunday afternoon here. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, anything? So, it's been... It's been a splash. <laughs> I was trying to think of what you said. Yeah. Like, ah. Cool. So, episode two in the can. Follow the podcast. Go follow Audio Cafe on Instagram, Boy Rista on Twitter. Uh, Levi, killing the game in the drink industry. Keep an eye out for him. It's awesome stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go drink some of his drinks right now. Come talk to him. <laughs> Bye. Uh, how did we end the last one, Jeff? Have a great day. <laughs>